This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host and mom, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, we are going to talk about techniques for healing loss today, and uh, our guest has written a really very, very comprehensive book. I mean, it's an amazing book, Heidi. It's just filled with uh, information on dealing with loss and, and finding hope again, which is our big thing, right? Absolutely, yes, and she definitely has transformed her life after her son, her 17-year-old son, Victor, died, and she has done an amazing job of finding hope after loss and has a lot of tips and tools for us today on how others can do that, too. So why don't you introduce Nisha Heidi? She's been on, by the way, for people, she's been on our television show, and so is her daughter, so hopefully you'll go to Open to Hope and uh, look at her television show. Okay, Mom, so let me introduce her. As you said, we're going to be talking today about techniques for healing loss, and we are talking today with Dr. Nisha Zenoff. Dr. Nisha Zenoff is a grief counselor, psychotherapist, and certified dance movement therapist. She has devoted her professional life to supporting bereaved families after the death of her 17-year-old son, Victor, in 1980. She is the author of The Unspeakable Loss, How Do You Live After a Child Dies? Welcome to the show, Nisha. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and hello, Heidi and Gloria. Hi. Well, it's great having you on. I just wanted to give a quick uh, comment on Victor because uh, we had you on the TV show, amazing kid, adorable, and 17 years old, which is the same age as our son, and he fell in a climbing accident at at Yosemite, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah. He, and I don't want to dwell on that too long. I just want people to know that it was a sudden death because uh, I really want to get into some of the things you've got about techniques of healing after loss because I got a chance to look at your book early on, and it is such a comprehensive and amazing book. I, I was really impressed by it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So I wanted to start out and asking you, you know, people are always giving other people advice. Is there one best way to grieve? No, there is not one best way to grieve because just as we love differently, we grieve differently. And there's no right and there's no wrong way to grieve. Uh, Everyone finds their own way. There's no one prescription for grief. And grieving is not a condition. It's a process. And we each grieve in our own way. Well, I sure, you know, want my husband to grieve the way I do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and my family, and I'm sure, I'm sure Heidi got kind of tired of our grief, right, Heidi? Well, I, I, it is hard because I think when you're in a family, everybody has their own agenda, and sometimes exactly. a, a sibling, a brief sibling, doesn't have the same agenda as a brief parent. And I know in working with brief families and in my own situation that, that compromise becomes really important. Like, how do we reach a middle ground? Like, pretend the parents want to celebrate the death of Scott, my brother, and have a cake and all those things, I might feel not that comfortable about it. So what can be the middle ground of how we celebrate his birthday? Um, And I think compromise becomes really important when you're in a grieving family. I think that's 
so true, Heidi, um, because I can't, everyone's timing is different. It depends on your relationship with the person who's died, and each relationship is different. Even if it's a mother and a father, the relationship mm-hmm. is different. Our love is different with each person. And um, I love the quote by uh, Alec- Elizabeth Alexander, who's a poet and an author, and she says, the deeper truth of grieving, it is a sign of love. And if we remember that grief is a normal, natural, healthy adjustment to life after loss, and that we can each find our own way, it, it brings about compassion for our differences and mm-hmm. making space and room to grieve differently. Well, you, you um, just mentioned uh, different timing for different things, and I, I wanted to ask you about time because, uh, you know, there's that old saying, time's a great healer or whatever. You know, does time matter? Well, time actually does matter. The Is time a great healer? Is that true? Yes and no. The passage of time, as you both know, does definitely impact our grief experience. I like the example of a sharp piece of beach glass whose edges get more rounded and smoothed over time as the sand and the ocean impact it. But And pain definitely changes over time. It gets less acute. But as we know, it's not time alone that changes the pain. It's what we do with that time and how we use that time. We can choose to grow from the experience of loss and grief or we can choose to shrink from it. And well, it's it's hard to hear that growth word early on, isn't it, I'm sorry, what did you say? I, I just said it's hard to hear you say we can grow from it. But Heidi and I uh, com- talked to people early on in grief. It's hard for them to hear that you might grow, isn't it, Heidi? It is. Yeah, it's it's a fine line, and, and you know this, Nisha, because you want to hold hope for people and let them know that it's, their pain is going to lessen over time. And like you said, it's what they do with the time that helps. However, you don't want to minimize the fact that they're in a great deal of pain. So it's always this dance we're doing when you're, exactly. when you're talking to someone that's newly it bereaved. Is, it is a very subtle dance. And mm-hmm. many parents, as you both know, don't want to give up pain because they feel that that's how they connect to their child. And they are afraid that if they give up their grief and their pain, they won't feel a connection to their child. Exactly. And, and I've even heard people say, I, I think I, in hindsight, I held on to the pain too long because, like you said, the pain represented the connection to my child. And I always say, you know, the pain represents the death of your child. When you're in a good space and when you're living life to the fullest, that's the connection to your child. Exactly. Exactly. And as we're in the grieving process, we have so many choices to make. We can pull down the shades and isolate and withdraw and stay by ourselves as one possibility, or we can do that sometimes and not at other times, or we can actually reach out to other people who've gone on the similar path before us and learn from them. How did they survive? What did they do? How did they keep connected to their child or their husband or wife or lover in this Well, speaking of husbands, I know we're in the Bay, I'm in the Bay Area here, and I know you are, and Cheryl Sandberg's just written her book, Option B, after the death of her uh, husband, Jeff Goldberg, uh, two or three years ago, and she said something in the book which I thought was interesting, which is lean into the suck. Uh, Do you have any idea what she meant by that? (laughs) Yes. Well, first of all, I'm so grateful to Sheryl Sandberg for sharing publicly her grief process. I think she's really putting grief on the map. 
uh, for all of us, and I feel so grateful to her. So we all know what suck means. It means awful or worse. Like when I was trying to think of a title for the book that I've recently completed about how parents live after the death of a child, the only title I could come up with for years was The Death of a Child Sucks. Mm -hmm. And when I don't know exactly what her rabbi meant for her, but when I read it, I can tell you what it means to me. And to lean into the suck to me means to be present with what is. It's not about um, having to accept and liking what is, but it's about being willing to stay present with it. And that's one of the more challenging things that we have to learn in grieving and that grief is a natural part of nature. And we can learn to be compassionate with ourselves, be present with our grief, accepting our feelings, not rushing through grieving because we think our culture wants us to hurry up and get better and get back to who we were. We will never be who we were, but we can move forward and be who we would be who we can be in the future and in the present. Mm-hmm. And and what do you what do you think is the most common question about healing from loss um, that bereaved parents ask? Oh, for sure, it's how long does this pain last, and do I have to live with this kind of pain for the rest of my life? And do I? What happens when I want to die to be with my child? Oh, that's and a good one. Will I ever be happy again, Nisha? Are you happy now? And what are your responses to those questions? Because those are very difficult questions. They are difficult, and they're such important questions because that's what goes through everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. Do I have to live with this pain forever? And. My experience, Victor died in 1980, so it's been, the it'll be 37 years. And I remember having those questions in my mind the first year or two. And how I answer that is no, you don't have to live with this pain forever. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the beach glass, how its edges get rounded and softened with time. And grief takes as long as it takes. And what happens when you want to die to be with your child? That is such a normal, natural response from a parent. Mm -hmm. It's not that you want to leave this world because you may have someone else you love, like a a partner or other children, or if you don't have other children, it could be your profession that you love. But if you want to die to be with your child, it's that you want to be with your child, not necessarily die. Yeah, big, there's a big difference, be, and people do get scared about that when they have hear someone say, you know, I wish I could join my child. Uh, you know, they feel like, oh, you're going to kill yourself. But the reality is there are two different things. There's one actually thinking about taking action and, and then another just wanting to be with them. But uh, Sheryl Sandberg in her book also said something that I thought was interesting. Her brother mm-hmm. said to her, uh, you need to develop a new family history. And I never thought mm. about the fact that maybe that's, some of what time has to do, you have to build a new history of your family. Mm-hmm. Of the and, and create family. new memories. Right, exactly, with and this with the group new memories. there. And, and this does take time, and it, and it takes a willingness to be open to things that are new, and grief can feel so scary and unfamiliar. You can feel like you have the flu, or you can feel like you're sick, or you have brain damage. I mean, I remember 
one time after Victor died looking at a stoplight and not remembering if the red light meant stop or go. Mm-hmm. And there, yeah. there really is like a brain fog, a, a grief brain, as we call it. Right. That happens. And I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the methods because, as I said, your book is so good and it's got so much really powerful information in it. I I wanted to get to a couple of things. What do you suggest to people that are listening to this show that are feeling mm-hmm. guilt or anger after the loss? Because I it seems to me that's a pretty big roadblock. It is. It is. And it's also guilt and anger are two of the most common things that most people feel after the death and loss of a loved one. And it, those come to us in our self-talk. And so um, here's an exercise that I've done and, and other people have done that they've found to be useful. And you, you take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle. And on the left side, you write, if only. For instance, I'll give you an example. If only I hadn't allowed Victor to go to Yosemite that day. And then on the other side of the line, I write, maybe he wouldn't have died. Or if only I hadn't allowed Victor to go with the young man that he went with on the other side of that line, maybe he wouldn't have fallen. And you write and write and write until there are no more self-talk coming through your head. And what happens is that the writing helps to process some of these emotions. And if you're finding it difficult to do this by yourself, it's so good to do it with a professional who's trained in grief therapy or a therapist who's had a lot of grief training, even support groups or talking to a clergy or a spiritual guide or even talking with other people who've experienced such, such loss. So for guilt, um, or the, the maybes, or the should, should haves, or if onlys, can keep nagging inside of us. And so it's very helpful to externalize it and begin the process of resolving those thoughts by writing it. So, Nisha, tell me why it's, it's important to write it and not just talk about it. It sounds like there's something well, in the writing process that, that helps, work th- work, helps you work through it. Is that true? It is. It is. Is that Heidi? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Heidi, excuse me. Um, You know, when we talk about it, we can hear it auditorily. We hear it through our ears. Mm -hmm. When we write about it, we hear it as we're writing it, and then we see it visually. And it actually puts it down where we can look at it. And so it expresses it in several of the ways that we experience life. So it's an auditory processing and a visual processing. Exactly. And it's okay. also kinesthetic because you're writing it or you're typing it on the computer. So you're using your muscles, your uh-huh. your hands. Okay, that makes sense because I've, I've seen a lot of research. My mom and I have talked mm-hmm. to people that have done research about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, the research has been done with firefighters. Um, Dr. Christine Manzella did a whole research study with firefighters in Europe and had them write about trauma. And it helped them mm-hmm. to process it, like you're saying. Mm. So this is an interesting thing. I wanted thing. to get back to the question about um, anger, if I could, for just yes, a minute. Because please that's do. so important. Some people say they don't have any anger, and other people feel a lot of anger and rage. And there are many ways to work with anger. For instance, uh, the mother who created uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving 
started that organization from feeling angry that her child had died in an automobile accident. Right, Candy Lightner, and if people want to hear more from her, we've got shows and TV shows uh, with Candy on Open to Hope. Yeah, she's she's a great story. She's a wonderful example of someone who turned her Mm -hmm. anger into becoming an activist. Yep, mm-hmm. and there there are many ways to work with anger, even like popping little bubble, you know, the packages that you use for bubble wrapping things. Yeah, you can pop those bubbles, and and even that helps. Or go to the top of a mountain or to the ocean and let the energy out by screaming. I, I did that, but I got a sore throat, and it still <laughs> helped. I did a lot of shower and car screaming. How about you, Heidi? <laughs> well, I remember after Scott died, we all went up in the mountains. I don't know if you remember. Um, my my cousin died with my brother, so we went up in the mountains with their family, and we all screamed, and then we screamed their names, and mm. you know it was it was pretty oh, that's therapeutic. So beautiful, yeah. And, that was and you mentioned the siblings, about right? shower yeah. and car, uh, because when we're in a shower, when we're driving a car, our body is open. We don't have our arms crossed or our legs crossed. And during those times of openness, we can feel feelings that we are not used to feeling, mm-hmm. like anger or, or guilt or devastation. Now, do you have some other methods or approaches that um, that are in your book that you want to recommend to people? I do. And one of the first things, and this could be so hard for someone in the acute stages of loss and grief, is actually to look at what you're grateful for to have a gratitude list that, you know, if your pain is so deep and you wish you weren't living, it's hard to even notice anything that you're grateful for. But if you allow yourself to look out at nature and see the flowers or the mountains or the sun, the fact that the sun does come up every day. So a gratitude list can be very helpful. And I usually suggest that people write three to five things in the morning when they wake up or three to five things at night before they go to sleep. And if it's a hard, a hard list to make, you can start with the alphabet. Um, so a gratitude list can be useful. And then because grief affects us mentally, emotionally, psychologically, socially, interpersonally, you want to use things that approach all of those parts of us. I, I, when preparing for this radio interview with you, I wrote down a list of 38 things that um, can be useful in surviving and healing loss. Um, one is definitely research has shown that it's so important to reach out to others who've experienced a similar thing, like a support group. Mm-hmm. Um, working with a therapist who's trained in grief, talking with other people may not be in an official group, but reaching out to other people who've experienced uh, a death in a similar way. Writing, and we talked about writing a few minutes ago, how effective writing to your, uh, well, I used to write to Victor a lot, and then I would also write to myself from Victor in my imagination. I like the Uh, idea of writing a letter to Victor. Mm-hmm. You could even mail a letter if I wrote it to Scott. I mean, you know, just to do it. Exactly, just to do it. And, and of course, meditating. And if you've never meditated before, this could be a great opportunity to start very, very simply by just sitting still, being quiet, and noticing what you're aware of, what you're noticing with your breathing, um, 
And if you do meditate, this is a perfect time to sit and have a quiet time with yourself. With If you are a believer in a God or a higher power, to connect with that force or your person that you've just lost. Um, and then, of course, being in nature itself can be so revitalizing. That can be a meditation without even doing anything, right? Walking, mm-hmm. just out walking and looking at nature. Exactly. And exercise. People have talked about how important it is to walk and walk and walk, even if it's more like a stroll and you don't feel really like walking at a pace, just taking a slow stroll. Those are wonderful um, techniques and approaches. So, Nisha, thank you for, for giving us all this information. I was wondering if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, I'll give you my email, which is my first and last name, Nisha Zenoff, N-I-S-H-A-Z-E-N-O-F-F, as in Frank Frank, at gmail.com. And um, I would be delighted to hear from anyone that's listened to this show and have questions or we can chat on email or, you know, I can certainly give them my personal phone number and we can definitely talk. Wonderful. And where do they get your book, The Unspeakable Loss? How do you live it, after a child dies? Thank you for mentioning that. It's up on Amazon now. And actually the cover just came through today. So oh, they'll be wonderful. putting a cover on it. And the the publication of it is November the 7th, 2017. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's very recent. Absolutely. It's a wonderful book, and uh, you really benefit getting it for yourself or someone else who's had a loss. Well, Nisha, thank Thank you you so much for being a guest on our show and for showing people how to find hope after loss. We really appreciate it. Thank you both Heidi and Gloria for having me on your show. And thank you to the two of you for all the important work you do in the world. Oh, thank you, Nisha. Great to talk to you and hope to see you soon. Thank you. I look forward to it. Well, Heidi, a great show. And uh, it's uh, her, she's got such information. You know, uh, she was, I believe, a therapist before uh, Victor died. And she's taken all this information over the years and has compiled it into a great book. So. It really is a, a very helpful book. Yeah, I love all our tips and tools. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really, really wonderful and things that you can do immediately. Right, absolutely. Well, Heidi and I want to thank you all for listening to the show, and we hope that you'll tell all your friends and family about opentohope.com. Have them visit. We've got radio shows, television shows, over 5,000 articles, uh, all sorts of things to help people while they're going through the grieving process. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours till you find your own, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. 
they made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.